This episode of Lightning Strikes Thrice is brought to you by our incredible patrons. Patrons like Lisa French and Phil Holmes. Somewhere, Chris is screaming at me right now. If you want to help us keep making the show like they do, or get under the skin of my missing co-host, you can visit pitchdrop.cash and contribute as little as a buck a month. We really appreciate it. Punished podcast host. <laughs> Listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, the JRPG Games Club podcast that weaponizes sibling rivalry for parental gains. <laughs> this is see- <laughs> This is season eight, episode thirteen, covering the Durandal Under Siege in Xenosaga Episode Three. I am your guest host, Sybil Arnett, and my pronouns are she her. With me today is Ryan Beatty, they them. Matt Marcus, he him. I, I just had the horrible realization of the whole like Negredo has his daddy inside him, literally. Ugh, I didn't uh, think of it that way before, but mm, now, now I can't mm, unthink it. Mm, great. Who's inside who is a question you should really be wondering about. Who wields <laughs> Schindler's fist? <laughs> God. That is, a, that is a very important question that I do not want to know the answer to. <laughs> How about you tell me what happened last episode, then? Uh, well, I can. I let, let's. Yeah, sure. Let's let's do that. <laughs> so while he might be a scientific mastermind, Doctor Sellers was always second fiddle to Joachim Mizrahi, a fact he knew all too well. However, nobody in the galaxy was a bitchier queen than the disabled Doctor, as evidenced by his remaining on board the tactical warship Merkaba, possibly fatally, just to lure the party to the core and dunk on them nonstop. <laughs> Uh, he was like, oh, you didn't know your brother was Yuriev's clone body? L- look who put the rube in ruby dough. <laughs> Fuck. Zing. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he actually said that, though. I know. Okay. I wrote a whole routine thinking that I was going to be doing this. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, um, does baby want a Baba boss fight? Too bad, chumps. <laughs> So then also Yuriev took over the Durandal violently, massacred basically the whole staff and the people who were like living on board and then shot poor Mary. Presumably he wants the Zohar emulators to power up Omega. With our friends and family under siege, the Elsa's crew on Junior's orders prepare to board the Durandal and retake the ship, saving everyone heroically. But first we get to go back to the UMN and do a bunch of side shit. Hooray! Uh, so, first thing we can do is go back to the Merkaba, where you can now unlock the big-ass mech-scale door to the core that was locked prior. And there are hints here that there was a little bit more planned for the warship at one point. 
because you have to go all the way back to the room where Sellers is in. And then you discover there that this whole area is massive and you can explore through it freely. And there is a switch in the back that unlocks the mech half of the battleship. And back there, you'll gain the G Ignis one generator for the mech. Fun fact. I have no idea what is going on with this equipment line because there is a G Ignis one, a G Ignis three, no two. And one of those is probably a typo. And not I a single one of them. <laughs> yeah. And neither one of them will like introduce new recipes to your cooking repertoire. <laughs> <laughs> this is the line of equipment that you order from AliExpress. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> For what it's worth, I did dig into the game using the debug codes now that we're nearing endgame. And there's no V2 dummied out either. No clue. Bizarre. Next up, if we head back to the cat testing ground, we can get segment address 10. Cosmos's Kapnar armor is contained within, and this is one of the best pieces of gear she'll get before endgame, because it's a few points of defense below what shops will sell soon, but has plus 10 strength and plus 40 break limit, which will last you a while. Damn. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Definitely I have to worth say, the detour. Yeah. The one thing I will say about the equipment in this game is that it starts to at least a little bit let you like gear up towards this build you're doing, especially mm -hmm. for um, someone like Jin. Mm -hmm. Like, do you want to focus more on the evasion side or, you know, get more defense and also more attack? It's a it's an interesting trade off that I wish they did more of in this game. But yeah, this uh, this Arbor, uh, I slapped that on Cosmos ASAP. It was great. And the break limit gear, the ether points, and the HP gear mm -hmm. really start to ramp up significantly at this yeah. point, too. So they, they feel like meaningful upgrades. Sometimes JRPGs have a, a problem of over-incrementalism. You're like, it's yeah. like at every town you get something that does exactly one it's point better than your last thing. And, and here it's like, damn this little bangle is worth another like 200 break limit. That's really nice. Oh yeah. You know, it's funny too. Like I was going through my items, you know, going to sell stuff that I, you know, not that I need that much money anymore because <laughs> I have so mm -hmm. much, but I did spend like almost all of it. But like some of those like story level items, like they are super valuable. Mm -hmm. Like I think one of the early game ones that you get is like worth 50,000. Holy shit. Yeah, like, it, or, or 25,000, like, it was significantly more than literally anything in my inventory. And it's it's not even the one that has, like, extra boost to it. Mm. Yeah. Everything is about to fall apart with the economy because we are one dungeon away from the secret shop being accessible to us. Oh, and shit. And the secret shop will literally allow you to buy stat-up items, endgame gear. Not all of it. There's a bunch of items that are just... There's one in the game. Have fun picking who gets this. At this point, we are about to break into the build your character with whatever you want if you have the money. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it's super easy to get money because like every enemy at this point, every encounter at this point, I am getting a barter item back. And mm -hmm. so it's so much faster to grind for money because so much stuff is sellable. Uh, oh, a good yeah. trick, if you want to do that, put the rare plus item on someone in the party, 
and just use the conveyor belt hallway on the Merkaba because oh. it respawns enemies every time you walk in and out of it. Incredible. Mm. So that's, that's really an easy funny. way to just up drops, sell everything, and repeat. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I've heard that some of the late game items are stupid expensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're only doing the secret shop stuff, especially if you're buying stat ups with a game shark or a lot of grinding. Because, and, again, yeah. the economic curve is screwed in this game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just kind of... Yeah, I guess that's the one place where it's not super balanced, right? Like, you have this hump where you can get way ahead and have a lot of money and then the prices shoot up in the end game and you just don't have enough money again. Like all of a sudden, like having 150,000 credits is like, well, this won't even buy one weapon. Mm -hmm. It's wild. Thankfully, we won't need that for long because uh, by the end of this episode, we can actually get end game weapons, final weapons for characters. Oh, sick. And one last thing, we can revisit the floating landmass where the segment address at the bottom of the tall shaft we opened at the start of the game is now accessible, and inside is Xion's guardian weapon. Very nice upgrade. Oh, nice. Is this is this the one in the cave? Yep. I think that's segment address one. Uh, 12. Okay. Oh, that's that one's 12? Okay, yeah, because I did grab that one. So when you're ready, as always, we talk to Captain Matthews. It is very, uh, we were talking about this pre-cast, but it's so segmented of like, all right, go to the EV plate in the Elsa if you want to do the side content, or go talk to Captain Matthews if you want to do the main thing. And the plot is so urgent that it is very hard to want to go back to the EV plate. And so I did not do any of the aforementioned side content this episode because I was just like barreling through trying to save my friends. For what it's worth, this is the point in the game where, partly due to plot, partly due to it's probably easier, we are basically never leaving the Elsa again unless we are going into a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is kind of weird, too, because I feel like in the previous games, there were just more opportunities to do side stuff as you went through the process, right? Like, went through yeah. the plot. and. I keep thinking like, oh, I know I have these side things on my backlog, but, you know, I'm playing for the podcast and I got to get through this boss fight in this dungeon and whatever. And I get through that. And I go, oh, do I really want to do some side stuff right now? I right. don't know. Like, maybe I'll do that tomorrow. And then I don't. Well, and it's funny, right? Because we know that some of some of these things are from the kind of necessary compression, the whole like, okay, this is actually like three and a half games in one game. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, they slashed the budget and so they had to like get it in. And then also we know that there was intentional streamlining during the design process on top of that because they wanted to make it a smoother experience. And so like the two of them working in concert makes it feel now very modal with the Elsa yeah. basically being, you know, your conduit between main plot and side content. Well, yeah, it's not like in the last game where you're you're bopping around second Milsha, you know, for plot reasons, you know, back mm-hmm. and forth. And then so you you see the NPCs and you talk to them and other things are happening and and all that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah As of a... this episode, there's no foundation to walk around. There's no longer <laughs> uh-huh. a second Milsha. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like the foundation really wasn't there at all. Like that was a huge part of the second game. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, well, it's like, what is it? Like 70% of Federation planets are have been destroyed, destroyed? or swallowed yes. by this point? Whew. Yeah. Okay. An I mean, unknown <laughs> amount of Foundation survivors exist. Mm-hmm. It's possible it's as low as five. God. Yeah, it it is, isn't it? Because we see so many dead bodies and we only rescue a couple. We yeah, rescue I mean, a total of four people on screen. I mean, you, you don't you can't go to the really the civilian section, right? You go to the residential place, which is like just where people, I guess, sleep and stuff. But like, you don't go to the town. Right. No. Like the I was expecting going to the town. <laughs> so there is a real quick cutscene of our entrance with Omega playing defense. But of course, this is the Elsa and it's fucking Tony Hammer and Captain <laughs> uh-huh. Matthews. And so, of course, the Elsa is nimble enough to just like dodge its big laser and get the party to the ship. Like he kind of surfs it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah. not a super clean entrance. Uh, Junior says that he'll apologize to Guinan later, but we're getting in if we have to rip out the damn walls as the Elsa blasts a hole in the side of the ship to dock at. There was a really good line in here where Tony's like, where do you want me to stick this ship? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's on Abel's arc. Oh, that's on Abel's arc? Okay, yeah, okay, okay. That's yeah. later. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. We'll get to that later, but great line. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, unfortunately, as we kind of mentioned, we come in on just corpses, nothing but corpses, tons of dead Foundation staff. Momo and Ziggy try to comfort him, but Junior says, hey, like, maybe don't talk to him right after he runs through huge swaths of his own crew down on the ground, because he's not going to be cool-headed in what comes out of his mouth. Ziggy agrees, being like, he's like, even I'll get emotional about this, which is very funny. Sad, though. Um... (laughs) And then we're given access to the tram to explore the station, corpses, invaders, and all. So now that we have access to different parts of the Durandal, here's the current state of the ship. If you go to the park, it is completely empty of non-hostile life. But there is a segment address in the back uh, where you have to like blow up a door that's like, it's kind of behind one of the, like, it's like a virtual wall. Yeah. And... You couldn't get there before, but now you can get there. You can't open it yet because you need something that you would get after this boss fight in order to go get the key in order to unlock this door. But you can go there now. And I did, too. And I was like, oh, shit. Right. There's nothing else in here. Mm-hmm. The bridge is locked down, but a single survivor who probably won't last much longer Mm-hmm. It's basically the entirety of this dungeon. Yeah. And we're going to complain about it a lot. Yeah. So here is the jarring part of this, and this is... Most dungeons in this game do not require a mini-map. They are segmented in such ways that, ah, this is the stairs room down. Ah, this is the one that you have a puzzle in. There are no puzzles in the third residential district. Mm -mm. There are hallways, and most of the doors will just switch camera, sort of like the hex maze in uh, the Merkaba that we mentioned last week. And so keeping a mental image of this with the hex maze, the door stayed open. With this one, 
you're blind going into rooms, so you may again get cheap-shotted by things who just spawn on top of you, and B, it's all identical. Mm-hmm. If you're not oh, in a room, yeah. all these hallways save the very final one and one of the corners where a switch is look identical. Yeah, yeah. And the infuriating thing about there's there's multiple infuriating things about this, and they're not like huge things. They just feel like you wasted your time a lot mm-hmm. is that, well, for one thing, all these doors are locked, right? And so there's a door and then there's the keypad that you need to unlock it. You go to the door, every single one of them, they say it's locked. Go to the keypad and you go to the keypad. It's like, oh, you need to go to the central lock and unlock it there. And so when you go and you do unlock everything, you then have to go to every keypad for every door to unlock yeah. it before you can go through the door. Why? And <laughs> and the like hit detection, so to speak. It's so the, bad. The, yeah, the, the, the context sensitive detection. It's so bad. And so it's like you have to be perfectly positioned or else it'll be like, uh, please unlock this via the switch to your right. And then you like <laughs> try to turn to your right and it says the same fucking thing. And you go a little bit too far to the right and you can't interact with anything. And it is so annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when they're coming on different sides of the wall. Right. Like it's not just you're looking straight at, at the door. Like sometimes it's on, you know, the left side and you're facing left. Like I definitely have missed the keypad by like 20 degrees and it's real yeah. stupid. <laughs> so I think that one thing that they do that is a minor boon here, a minor blessing is that they zoom the camera way out. And so like you have a decent enough view of the hallways, the rooms are zoomed way in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But between the zoomed out camera and the extremely bland, repetitive layout, it feels like an early PlayStation JRPG dungeon. Like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. And here's the thing that's the worst about it. Like, this is the thing that makes this a war crime is that every room has five explodable things in it. There's the two consoles in the back. There's the two plants. And then there's the side console on the other side of the room. And you go through probably 20 of these rooms and two of them have items in the room itself. Mm -hmm. Like maybe three. Maybe I forgot one. So. You're going to every room. Not all of them have enemies in them. Some of them literally just are nothing. Like, there's no enemies. There's no items in there. You just wasted your time. You didn't know that. Yeah. But you go in, you blow up five things, and you leave. And you leave without anything to show for it so, so many times. And it doesn't help that all the rooms are identical. And the ones that aren't identical, like, exactly identical, are the same room rotated 90 degrees. And... On top of that, the encounters, there are like two types of enemy and there are two permutations of each. So there are like a grand total of four different kinds of encounters that you could fight through. And they're they're all with basically the same parts shuffled around minimally. And it's (laughs) and I was so mad because everyone Everyone is fucking weak to fire, except for the, like, two enemies that are strong to fire. And so I wanted to use my add fire accessory, but there was always one little fucker, one little pesky fucker that would stick Mm -hmm. around if I did that. Yeah, yeah. This was also, like, the enemy health scaling was always weird because, like, you'd end up with, like, okay, you have three of these 
soldiers and you would have one robot and so you're like okay i want to use like cosmos's x buster which i've been abusing like crazy it's like mm -hmm. level five or six now and mm -hmm. it'll like kill the dudes like i usually end up killing one of the dudes doing group attacks trying to build up enough boost to wipe everything out and then usually half the time I end up like undershooting on the robot or the eggs because there are mm -hmm. also eggs in play here in some of the rooms. And it just never felt like I got into a good rhythm or like I always felt like I ended up dropping some points that I extra points that I should have had. Mm -hmm. I'll also mention that the structure of this dungeon is basically a less finished version of the lab floor in Labyrinthos where we had to rescue the man and then unlock everything, and then we could just check all the rooms. This is the exact same thing, except with less events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not a lot that happens in this dungeon. And yeah, there are two rooms that you get auto-ambushed in, and those are the plot ones. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Which is not, not a big deal. It's just a little frustrating. However, we are also at the point in the game where those auto-ambushes drop at least one permanent stat up. Yeah, those oh, are nice. okay. Yeah, there was one strength up, and I forget the second. Oh, I think it was an EP up. Yeah. Yeah, which I gave to Cosmos because she needs it really badly. Mm -hmm. Basically. Yeah, there's also a G plus item in there as well. Oh, is that a permanent buff? I thought that was a, that was equipable. Yes, it is. It's an oh. accessory. It's a G plus accessory. Oh, nice. Yeah. So your goal, once you have unlocked the doors and... I will give them one bit of kindness. Once the doors are unlocked, a big red light appears over every door, which changes to blue once you've opened it. That is mm -hmm. the only way you'll be able to tell where you've been. Mm -hmm. <sighs> but your goal is to find Mary and Yuli. Makes sense they kept some of the high-value prisoners together, even though aren't they worth nothing anymore in the face of the collapse of the Federation and the Foundation both? But there's a nice chest with a blue ring nearby them if you want one of the better EP plus games in the game. After you find those two and Momo treating Mary's wounds, your final goal is to locate the final prisoners, Shelly and Kanan. She'll tell us that the Arbiter code was seized from her, but as a final Hail Mary, no pun intended, she overwrote the gate codes quickly to buy some time. Kanan is then ordered to escort the prisoners to the Elsa in dock while we rush towards the isolation area. A couple quick things. First, I don't like it when Junior calls Mary a good girl. I did not like that. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention it in the notes, but I did sort of <laughs> focus in on that. Uh-huh. And second, like, just RIP to Kanan ever being a player or character in this game. I just, I always forget about Kanan until Kanan shows back up. And then he's, you know, just a plot device for a second and then disappears again. He's ironically going to be the only person who does anything at the end of this update. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of glad that we didn't get to watch... A torture scene because presumably that arbiter code didn't come cleanly and it was like hinted at that oh yeah i'm gonna torture you for the code but also it just makes that whole bit feel like like there's just not enough weight to it because like you have all this tension and then she just goes yeah yeah they have it mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's it it's all like she she doesn't feel shook up by whatever happened and shelly seems totally fine even though she's gut shot it's weird 
Mary was. Well, sorry, I mean, Mary. She, sorry, yes, Mary. But like they, they had. Yeah, you're right. But they had someone tending to their wounds, and then and then Momo stitches up Shelley on top of that. Yeah, yeah. It just never felt that Shelley seemed in pain at all. Oh, <laughs> like that even may, when she first got shot. That may be a voice acting thing instead of a writing or directing thing, because because. Yeah. <laughs> this is weird phrase to come out of my mouth but my shelly felt like she was in pain oh you mean in the japanese yeah in the, in the undub yeah gotcha sense. yeah yeah the english like dub is very much just like yeah no mary's normal like southern drawl tennessee voice is just okay. completely the same in the scenes when she's supposed to be probably in a fair bit of pain yeah mm-hmm. she's in a bed and that's the only difference between her and any other prisoner yeah, plus there's obviously no blood that I can see. Mm-hmm. No. I like to presume, just because of the absolute bonkers nature of Yuriev's chief enforcer, that Citrine just gave titty twisters until they finally got the codes. <laughs> Aww. Aww. Don't want to imagine that. All right, you're not going to do it? I'll use my anti-Rubido technique. Friction burn! <laughs> 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 Ah, but when we finally break off from this, we can go to the isolation area, which is abandoned, all security disabled, and doors opening on approach. Only one piece of opposition remains between us and Yuriev, number 668, Citrine. Yeah, so apparently, despite Chaos and Junior knowing each other for ages at this point... Chaos just never knew about Citrine. Like, they never met. Junior never mentioned her. That's a little weird. <laughs> Probably because she was a retcon. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. so, that would do it. But also, like, I feel like Junior here also is like, oh, yeah, that's right. I should know that I'd be able to call, like, sense where Guinan is, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's just so much about the junior side of things that feels like they forgot something, and then they have to treat it like it's new information, when it's like, the character should know this. It's also really funny to think that Junior has just never called Citrine in 15 years. <laughs> I know. Mm. Yeah. Especially, especially because his whole deal is, uh, like the trauma of feeling disconnected from his kin, right? And he's got a living family member who's still around, and they just, he just never picked up the phone. Mm-hmm. The psychic phone, either. I really wish Citrine had been more of a character. It's funny because, yeah. you know, we were just complaining about, like, Junior's arc being a victim of Xion getting so much focus in Xenosaga episode three. And then all of a sudden we've got Junior story content, and I'm I'm happy about that. And, you know, he gets emotional. So there's like some good emotional shit in there. But also, like you mentioned, there are just a lot of band-aids over holes from his mm-hmm, shit mm-hmm. feeling so disconnected. Yeah. And it feels like weird too, because it's also taking away time that could have gone to I don't know, more stuff with Kevin, Mm -hmm. who's like, he should be the focus right now. Like, we've got rid of Virgil. And also, like, Albedo is around. He gets name dropped here. Yeah. And does it still isn't really a character in this yet. Mm -hmm. It's weird. So, yeah, Citrine, like we mentioned, is she's she's pretty cool with the party. Does some small talk, says something about comrades, uh, you know, willing to catch up. And Junior's like, yeah, um, so... 
dad's in the room behind you, right? And because Citrine is an absolute daddy's girl, she does not take too kindly to the idea that Junior and his friends are going to interfere. He's like, the fate of the universe is at stake. And Citrine is like, have you forgotten our mission? It was to destroy Udu. It doesn't matter what happens to the universe as long as we accomplish that. And the way that she speaks, she feels like she is very accepting of her being a tool and a weapon and after the boss fight that we have with her we kind of understand why because of how yuriev talks um but she it feels like she has kind of forsaken her humanity for the feeling of having a purpose almost well i feel like she was explicitly raised that way compared Mm -hmm. to the other URTVs because it seemed like the other URTVs were allowed to sort of socialize or at the very least like you know live somewhat normal youths outside of all the other weird you know (laughs) Yuriev Institute shit but like Citrine felt like she was embedded with Yuriev and like had extra knowledge of Yuriev's intentions and everyone's role like yeah, more so than any other characters. Like, I don't. Maybe Negredo had a little bit into that because Negredo was also, you know, an anti-red dragon weapon. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like, it seemed like Citrine specifically was way closer to Yuriev, and so like her whole identity is tied up in that. Right. Right. So because of this conflict, she sours on the whole conversation, despite Junior's pleas, and she's like, I have one more power, the ability to destroy the Red Dragon, just like Negredo. Do you think that you can defeat me? And with that taunt, now comes the boss battle. The very underwhelming boss battle. (laughs) Before we get into that, I will remind you that part of why Citrine feels so weird is that, reminder, in the last game, we had an explicit mention, making female URTVs is harder, and so when they had a success, especially something on the level of Citrine, she was kept back partly for safety, partly because they kind of were trying to prep a breeding program with the female <laughs> URTVs. Oh, yeah, 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 that was part of it. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Fucking Yuriev. So And like gross. she knew that too. Like she said so herself, right? God, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't like she knew that she was going to be part of this breeding plan. Like like I said, she was embedded into this God, thing. Imagine being indoctrinated by your abusive dad into believing that you're nothing more than a tool. And one of your uses as a tool is to have children. That's extremely fucked. That is extremely fucked. Yeah. Citrine is explicitly a female Negredo. That's it. Mm. She's got all his powers, but she can make babies. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Goddamn. Mm-hmm. And somehow is also, like, a real kick-ass fighter, but maybe that's just training. I mean, we haven't seen Negredo do anything, yeah. really. Especially since he's gotten, um, you know... Yurievd? Yeah. yeah, you know, datafy got he got Nordic. Dimitried. He got daddied. <laughs> anyway, the Citrine boss fight. So first things first, she has one of the rare SP plus accessories in the game. Be sure to steal it. It's called the Crescent Moon. It took me six tries to do it, but I did it. <laughs> so the thing is, Citrine is resistant to fire, which should not be shocking to you at all, but she is vulnerable to beam. So Cosmos, Shios, and Momo are excellent here, and you would definitely want to 
still like have Momo in the mix, even though she may be on the more fragile side. But I actually gave her the ring that gives her plus 1500 HP. So she basically has the same HP as everyone else. And she's been pretty solid since then. Okay. So I've been upgrading Junior on his offensive magic path instead of his gunslinger path. And so he had beam three Mm-hmm. beam bullet oh. three or whatever it's called on his on his beam ether bolt. spell yeah, beam bolt thank you and so yep. he like it's so funny because you you would like you would expect him thematically to not be that great against citrine because she is designed to kill him but he ended up being a beast because of the magic upgrade path hmm. that's really interesting you know i was surprised here that we didn't start the battle with Junior as a forced party member. It's happened once in the past that I can recall. Like in Xenosaga 2, there was the second fight with Margulis where Jin, you know, he had left the party and then he comes back and then he's in the fight. Like I expected that sort of thing to happen with Junior and it didn't. And I kind of wish it did. Like I kind of wish you had to have Junior forced into your party for this entire fight i think it would have made it like thematically stronger and would have made it mechanically more interesting because then maybe it breaks up your party comp that you're used to from memory there are only two more fights that are going to do that in the game and i think a large part of that is that the experience curve is kind of wonky from here and there's no way to guarantee you used a character enough to make them survivable I feel like the only way, given the way the share works, like, yeah, you're going to have characters that if you don't use them, they'll be behind because they're not getting the extra bonuses from finishing strikes. So there's like a like a 10 to 15 percent that they're kind of missing out on all the time. But at the same time, like as long as you're spending the skill points, they should all be viable. I guess you also have to buy their equipment because if you don't upgrade their equipment, they're also going to be statistically Mm -hmm. really behind. But I mean, I would have been fine, even though I have not used Junior since probably the second dungeon, and he would have been fine in this fight. Hmm. Anyway, Citrine is a human-type opponent, so Ziggy and Xion are excellent for ratcheting up their break gauge, and uh, she's got three major tricks up her sleeve, the first being Mystique. It steals the ether of everyone in the party, And you're going to want someone to swap in and cast Refresh or have Cleansers on hand to fix this. Uh, The second is when you get the note in the battle, it says Citrine's mental activity rises. This means she's preparing Shritinias Wave, which is an all-party attack, which is guaranteed to break your full party unless you've really built a high-spec, like, break resist, like, break level characters and if you're guarding that also helps but you just need to defend and uh heal up after that just to make sure no one dies the final trick she has is the seal of 666 the instant you see this go off boost someone literally anyone just make sure that you have some kind of healing skill and preferably party-wide but if not just have at least somebody be able to survive this because What this does is it knocks everyone's HP down to 666. That alone is not the problem. The issue is that her next turn is an immediate follow-up called Red Dragon Killer, which deals exactly 666 damage to the entire party. So 
If her AI goes off and boosts into that slot for a combo, you're dead. So just make sure that doesn't happen. Okay, so I have not consulted any guides or anything to verify this. So this is purely anecdotal. But because I kept Junior in my party, I noticed that Citrine did not do nearly as many of her tricks as i saw other people complaining about because she spent most of her time just doing the double rod attack at junior she only hit me with uh, citriniot's wave once and i did happen to have ziggy with a break limit plus 150 accessory on and so he was able to withstand the storm but like i don't know if if you keep Junior in your party, Citrine focuses on him and maybe doesn't trigger her other stuff as much, but it sure felt like it. Seal goes off somewhere around 15 to 20% health remaining on her, so it's possible to skip past it. Yeah, so I did see Seal. She just only yeah. did the wave one time and only did Mystique one time, and every other thing that she did was just the physical attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember seeing Red Dragon Killer. Maybe I did and I forgot, or maybe I just, I got sealed once. I got waved twice, which was kind of annoying. But, you know, I didn't end up feeling really pressured to heal a lot. Yeah. Even when I got broken, she didn't have as strong of a follow-up like Virgil did. Like, I felt Virgil had a much more threatening set of moves uh, compared mm-hmm. to Citrine here. Yeah, but all, but also I did absolutely boost when she did the Seal of 666 just because it it mm-hmm. feels scary. Yeah, <laughs> it's I've had I've had her AI wipe me. Before. Oh, that really? would suck. That would That's suck funny. so bad. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But... When you finally finish her off, she'll drop the weapon development area key, which you will need to go deeper into the cat testing ground. Uh, The reason why she has this will make more sense when you find out what it does. So as the battle ends, a wounded Citrine will ask why the hell Rubido keeps outliving all the other URTVs. <laughs> uh-huh. And Junior just goes, it's because I have a promise to keep, like he's Naruto. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Citrine, being Citrine, just hears this and her final words are, ah, you're still haunted by that woman's shadow. I pity you. 
she then collapses and dies, dissing on her brother. Oh my god. The other huge burn that she drops on him before the fight is a failure who has forgotten his role as a weapon and abandoned his duty has no right to speak to me. Just Right. It said no no right to speak to me about comrades. Like she yes. definitely keyed yes. on the word comrades, which, you know. <laughs> by the way, you just murdered all his comrades. Yeah, for real. Yeah. I didn't realize yeah. she died. Oh, yeah, she's a corpse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she just kind of slumps over and it just doesn't feel dramatic enough. Like, I assume she was done in the story. So and it makes sense that she's dead. It just didn't feel that way in the moment. So I, I have a question for the folks who didn't keep Junior in the party for the fight. When she's about to prepare the final seal, do y'all get the in-battle cutscene where Junior is like, wait, you don't have to do this. Please stop. Nope. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nope. So if Junior's in your party, she collapses and is like struggling to get back up. And he's like, please, I don't want to lose anybody else. Like, I, I've lost too many people. Please stop this. Oh, oh, wait. Is that you mean after the battle? No, no. This in happens like during the battle. I don't remember. I, I don't remember anything happening in the battle because I clearly didn't have Junior in. But somehow that sounds familiar. Because then she gets back up and she's like, never, you know, this is my duty, essentially. And then that's when she casts the final seal. Or maybe maybe it does happen even if Junior's not in your party and I just forgot. I have mm. no idea. I'm going to probably look this up because I'm curious now. Because the whole like, I remember him saying I don't want to lose any more comrades to Citrine, which is like the last person you should be saying that to considering she murdered all your comrades. <laughs> Yeah, no, he, he says to her, I don't want to lose anyone else. Please don't make me kill you, essentially. Mm -hmm. So alarms begin screaming around the party, however, as Yuriev releases the Zohar emulators inside the isolation area. We cut inside, and Yuriev is having a one-sided conversation with, presumably, Guinan? He berates his son for his connection to that unit, calling it nothing more than an illusion. L fucking i it's so funny because yuriev is such like a last minute 11th hour boss and you know villain in so many ways but like he really does a lot to make me hate him in the short screen time that he's had it just the the like all you are is tools mm -hmm. and weapons speech is just fucking gross as hell i love it i mean i like him as a villain better than wilhelm because we don't really know what <laughs> wilhelm's deal is yet yeah, he's just like smug mastermind. Ugh. He's I yeah, I at least, you know, at least it's not a Necron situation. Like at least he's been in front of the curtain the whole time instead of, you know, being introduced in the fourth disc, so to speak. Boy, I was I forgot about Heinlein. Like Heinlein mm -hmm. has a moment in this episode and I'm like, fuck, yeah, that guy's still around and his yeah. voice actor is still terrible. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all that's, Wait a all second. that's left. Wait a second. Oh, I know. I think I I think I figured it out. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it. I think I think and Sybil, I think your little giggle there was the trigger, and I, something that Chris said way earlier also seemed like it. It sort of wraps that up nice and neatly i don't think chris knows but i think you're at the point where you can definitely figure it out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
I've been trying to keep that one out of here, but I can't help but laugh every time you all make that same complaint. (laughs) Okay, so Junior and friends burst in just as Yuriev begins gazing in awe of the awakened emulators, screaming, My time of victory against his terror has finally come. Yuriev blames all of this shit on Junior somehow, claiming that he had to step in to finish what those incomplete units failed to do 15 years ago. Ugh. Junior asks if the whole thing is to use the emulators and Omega to destroy Udu, and Yuriev is like, fucking no, idiot, baka. He's like, <laughs> he's like, no, like, nothing can ever actually destroy Udu. Please keep in mind, this means that he never actually filled in his most obedient daughter on what his actual plan was, because Citrine has believed that he's going to destroy Udu this whole time, and that that's what her whole purpose as a being was. It also seemed like uh, Sellers thought that too. Mm-hmm. Because he said, like, he wanted to basically destroy his fear and kill Udu. Right. Yeah, so, like, he believes that the ancients also knew that you couldn't destroy Udu, so their plan was to become god themselves, or to become as though they are gods. And so, like, the Y-Data, the Zohar emulators, and the Merkaba all read to him as relics that the ancients made in order to become god. He also calls them uh, tools to harness the divine power to resist him, and... What is so bonkers about this is how much the backing track, how much the music in this cutscene sounds like the near automata music when <laughs> all of those robots start saying, we shall become as gods, we shall become as gods. Like, yeah. the the timbre of the women vocals is just like, it is the near automata timbre. It's incredible. Yep. Before you said anything, I was already planning as an editing note to drop in the uh, the Niratavada, like cut that in every time someone says "become as gods." <laughs> uh, just just because I thought that was funny. But you're right. Uh, the um, I'm not going to drop it into the episode because that song is the one we've been using for the intro for the whole season. Mm. I think it's called Gotsib, which probably means something related to God because German. Sounds right. like it seems like uh, I did not actually translate it. Yeah, but it's a it's actually one of the more interesting songs on the whole soundtrack, at least the soundtrack that you get on the CD, because mm-hmm. it does kind of sound like Coral Evanescence <laughs> a little bit. It kind of has a My Immortal vibe. OK, kind of. Anyway, it's one of the more interesting uh, arrangements on the soundtrack because a lot of it, unfortunately, is like remixes of earlier songs or, you know, callbacks and stuff. Not a lot of really original pieces, except if Mm -hmm. you're talking like in the incidental music, which is not on the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. But he goes on, he says, you see, Udu is a god of this dimension. If, in fact, God cannot be destroyed then we shall be the ones to become gods ourselves. And then Yuria proceeds to walk backwards out of the room, firing two shots into the computer terminals to prevent a shutdown. And like, nobody moves while this happens. He's just like, uh, like, yep, I'm just going to make this super easy for myself. And then (laughs) he leaves like a baller saying, farewell, my son. Remember your great father. I have to say. You can advance the this like the more still frame cutscenes, the the lower budget cutscenes. You advance the text yourself, but 
these movies you can't and so i looked away from the screen for a second and looked back and because i'm playing with the japanese voice track i rely on the subtitles and i really i because i only saw it out of the corner of my eye i really thought the subtitle here said you must remember the great hitler and i was just like where the Whoa! fuck did that come from <laughs> what? this is not wow. Ryan. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> boy that definitely puts a different spin on this entire thing yeah i'm so glad that you called out what he actually said in the notes because i had in my notes did that motherfucker just say the great hitler fuck do i have that's to make that the episode art move. i think <laughs> i have to make that the episode art that's you you go with god with that i'm not <laughs> maybe, maybe not that might be too much yeah that's probably a little spicier than we want uh-huh. Yeah, I mean the last time we went that spicy, uh we got we did great numbers, but it was right. probably all cute yeah. people. Yeah, Jewish uh-huh. space laser. I remember that time. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Yeah, like still today it has like the most number of downloads by at least 50% by like a margin of 50%. So fucked up. Yeah. Like we just (laughs) like not that long ago, we just finally crossed a thousand downloads for an episode. That wasn't that episode. That episode has been like 14, 1500 for a while. Oh my God. Like ridiculous. (laughs) How does it feel to be cited as an expert for your people? (laughs) I wasn't even on that episode. I wasn't there for that season. Funnier. Uh shit. And it's all like Kabbalah stuff, which I really don't know anything about, but wh- whatever. <sighs> you know, I, I think I just found out or I just realized that Merkaba is also a freaking Kabbalistic reference. And I just didn't realize that before. And I didn't even yeah. think about it. I'm like, oh, that's just a weird wor- word. No, that's also a Kabbalistic thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's yep. a Jewish or I think that. I want to say we talked about this in the season that you weren't on, but I believe that Merkaba was like a parallel school of Jewish mysticism at some point as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, dabbling in that pool for cool names is what yeah. the JRPGs of this era love to do. Yeah, you, I you woke up have... in another world with separate types of Jews. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not, not going to lie, I had not heard of the Mizrahim before I played Xenosaga 1. So when I saw the name uh, Mizrahi, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting name, but it just didn't connect. And then I found out later, oh, no, that's like the third major ethnic group of Jews. And I'm like, oh, shit, of course it is. I I always thought of the fashion designer, which makes me feel uh. like a tool a little bit. <laughs> it's You're funny. fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Look, until you uh, make a house of Gucci, that you are perfectly fine with fashion. <laughs> look, look, I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to tell myself real quick. The reason why I discovered this Merkaba thing is that I was actually looking up Judaica jewelry. And then I went to this one site that had like, you know, real sort of out there, spiritual, spacey stuff, and a lot of Kabbalistic yeah. stuff. And that's like for like a pendant was like, oh, this is a Merkaba pendant. And I'm like. Oh shit, of course. <laughs> like yeah, I yeah. that's how I literally found it. So like like no no shade here. <laughs> All right. But anyway, Momo confirms that they can't do anything to halt his instructions that he put into the computer before he shot them. So they're completely locked out and that's when the ship begins piloting a course. 
The Durandal is now flying itself straight into the core of Abel's Ark, and with no ability to stop it, the party retreats to the Elsa and flees. So, the makeshift docking the Elsa performed has left the party with an issue. Their ship is in hard vacuum since they blew a hole in, and the clamps are refusing to disconnect. As Matthews gripes they have no way to disengage them since the atmosphere would kill anyone outside in the attempt, Chaos and Cosmos just walk outside and team up to blow the clamps off. Uh-huh. Nothing comes of yeah. this scene. No. Yeah, like nobody just goes, <laughs> "Wow, Chaos was just out there. It is totally fine." Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like, it was notable. I thought Cosmos was going to do it alone. When I saw Chaos there, I'm like, "Hmm," and then it didn't really go anywhere. I'm glad that they didn't try to play it off as like uh Cosmos self-sacrifice, but not actually self-sacrifice scene number like 34, where uh-huh. like everyone knows that she'll be fine. This'll be fine. Yeah. And nobody questions this as they barely make it clear of the Durandal, which is causing a massive energy surge at the core of Abel's Ark. Inside said Ark, Abel. Yuriev and Omega all stand before the original Zohar. The device is returned to Omega's core in place of the emulator, and the mech transforms into a taller, golden, shining variant of itself. The kind of, like, gnosis architecture design, for lack of a better term, is, like, Abel's arc in, like, texture and aesthetic feel extremely extremely different from the ghost whale uh for example the giant gnosis ship that i never remember the name of that we spend a lot cathedral ship thank you cathedral ship which is ironic because it looks like an evil cathedral (laughs) yeah right yeah this this feels a lot more knockoff shin megami tensei like kind of like red demonic shit going on than how i'm used to seeing like gnosis stuff up close let's all be real they blew the name cathedral ship way too early in this series i make a joke about it again in the notes a little later (laughs) Uh yeah 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 it just does seem like really like hyper baroque in a way that nothing else does totally so Meanwhile, the Ark itself changes shape from the Lance of Longinus-like craft that we've seen prior into a massive sword. Inside, we see swarms of Zohar emulators collecting in different colored rooms. On the bridge of the Elsa, everyone's reaction is, what the hell is that? (laughs) Cosmos and Momo read a massive gravitational anomaly within the craft. (laughs) Cosmos (laughs) says that Abel's Ark... (laughs) Do you see what I did there? I just avoided the Noid. You Uh did. You Um, did avoid the Noid. uh, Cosmos says that Abel's Ark is no longer a Gnosis and also theorizes that the anomaly is surplus energy leaking from Omega after absorbing the Zohar. Ziggy says, with energy of such colossal magnitude, it seems his talk of joining the ranks of gods may not have been such a bluff. (laughs) very funny delivery very funny way to say that ziggy like Uh oh shit he uh wasn't fucking around ziggy is like the mvp of this section of the game yeah like the couple times he speaks up it's good he's only making snarky quips he's not doing anything plot based yeah Uh uh-huh uh-huh right and we still haven't figured out the deal with fucking voyager god nope uh anyway this is why like the last dungeon takes forever right we got to close all of those loops Yes, um, literally all we're going to wrap by the end of Abel's Ark 
is Yuriev. Fuck, are you serious? Yeah. Oh my god. That's wild. Wild pacing. We're going to have three major boss battles next episode, and we're only doing half of the place. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Jesus. Well, at this point, after Abel's arc has somehow mutated, all anyone can do is watch, and we cut to Wilhelm's whack-ass crystal prison, <laughs> where... <laughs> Sorry. That's just, that is exactly what that is. Uh-huh. Every time, I will always use that phrasing. Yep, <laughs> yep, it. yep. Kevin uh, just kind of fades into existence here and reports that Omega is awakened, and Yuriev's next move, most likely, is to claim Zarathustra as a method to ascend. And Wilhelm shrugs it off, saying that whatever he did to Zarathustra is not recorded in the Y data, and Yuriev's information is incomplete. He says, he truly is a fascinating human. In order to conquer his fear, he decides to swallow it and become what he fears itself. And then they mentioned that Albedo wants to go and retrieve the device and that it is the only thing he really wants. And Wilhelm says it will also work out well for the awakening of the vessels of Anima. It will take a little bit more time before she awakens. And that's the end of the scene. No, um, Kevin is kind of the only testament who seems to be on board with Wilhelm the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, Albedo has been kind of kept behind a curtain since he turned into a testament. Fine. We can hold that till later. But I never understood why. What's Voyager's motivation here? My man wants to be the net prophet. Yeah. Yeah. It's OK. His motivation is made incredibly clear if you experience Pied Piper. Yeah. yeah in, in any way. I feel like we talked about it and yet I still feel like I maybe I just forgot because that was like four or five months ago when we talked about it. He wants to link a bunch of consciousnesses inside himself within the UMN. Essentially, he be, he like wants to eat people and live right. with them in the digital world. He's kind of trying to become a parallel UMN slash Udu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is that something that would be accomplished by going with Wilhelm's goals is well, the question. Wilhelm gives him the access and the power that he wants to. It's like, I feel like at this point, Voyager thinks that he's he's using Wilhelm for his mm-hmm. testament status and not just merely serving him, even though it seems like Wilhelm, like, knows how to keep him in line basically okay yeah i'm kind of expecting a top 10 anime betrayals moment where voyager tries to turn on wilhelm and gets owed yeah well we shall see i'm not i'm not not even going to say anything i'm actually double checking my memory right now i'm pretty sure it's stupider than that oh no (laughs) great yep can't wait uh, where is he at? By the way, I did God. appreciate the cosmic NTR reference. Wait, wait, do we just? Okay, okay, there we go. I had to find where the hell the actual showdown with him was. Okay, cool. Do do. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's gonna be very near the end of the game. He okay. is the. Fourth to last boss. Oh my god. So yeah, he'll be in he'll be in that final chunk where we're breaking the final dungeon apart. 
I I remember that final stretch being just revelation, boss, revelation, boss, revelation, boss. Oh yeah, if you think this dungeon is unfinished. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. At at least Abel isn't sitting in a chair with a spotlight on him narrating what the dungeon is like. He literally just was. We saw him in a pilot's chair getting a spotlight of the Zohar shown on him. <laughs> oh my god. Of a subtle hint that, oh hey, we're in disc two of Xenogears territory, y'all. Look. <laughs> oh yeah. It's a fuck. Hell, if anything, the dungeon we just finished is basically as unfinished as the undersea research lab in Gears. Yeah, yeah. That totally yes. Gray corridors. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank God there's no platforming and platforming dungeons in this game with random encounters. Like boy. <laughs> There aren't random encounters, and also there's no platforming. <laughs> Eight God, plus both I, sides. When, when I heard that for the first time, I, like, my jaw dropped. Like, not just oh. the uh, the thing where you can get into a battle mid-jump, and then after the battle, you just plummet immediately down, and then there's a huge tower you gotta, like... Tower mm-hmm. of Babel! Yeah. That's the most infamous one in the game! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's so stupid. That is so stupid. <laughs> To the point Uh, that most of us learned how a PS1's loading worked to circumvent mm -hmm. it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. or you just trigger a battle before every jump, just to be sure. Oh no, you pop the fucking lid so it can't load a fight. Uh Oh, that's right. Yeah, you can't really do that on a PS2, though. Mm. No, you can't. Mm. Not recommended. Or a PS3. Because I have it it digitally on PS3. Yeah, you also don't even get the loading sound as a warning on the PS3. No, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to do it like either either just fucking YOLO it or uh, or just like, yeah, run around till I get a trigger a battle and then jump. God. Anyway, next up, we go to the cathedral ship. No, not that one <laughs> or that one or that one with Margulis. He proudly reports to Heinlein that his men have sunk 70 percent of the Federation fleet in the combat and asks for the order to assault Abel's Ark. And Heinlein's response is. I don't recall telling you to move the fleet in the first place, dog. Fucking God. I'm glad that there are still some bad dads. Like, we've got, we've had two dads redeemed in Xenosaga so far. I'm glad that there are still some bad dads out there. Good fucking (laughs) news. We're not redeeming Yuriev. Yeah, no. Uh, The Pope chastises him further and cuts off the Zoom call, leaving Margulis alone in his big ol' showery phone room. And... Even Pellegree is starting to wonder what the plan is, but she's also still devoted enough to call Margulis a heretic for questioning the orders this far when he's like, I don't trust that guy. God damn it, Pellegree. My favorite part of this is that Pellegree knows Margulis has betrayed one pope before. Why would you not expect that he would be the kind of person to do that twice when he sees signs? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Pellegree feels... A little too one note. I kind of wish they did more with her. Pellegree mm-hmm. was definitely going to have more of an arc in this game, especially with the, hey, Jin, I kept all your clothes and I've been waiting for you. For <laughs> all of that had to have been building to something, right? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I'm sure that's going to be done real dirty because we have four fucking testaments. To, well, three testaments left to go through. Yeah. I will plus say I'm this. Sh- plus, we have to fight Margulis at least one more time, right? We will fight both of them one more time. Margulis and Pellegrin. Ooh, together. Mm, hopefully. From memory, it's the same fight, yeah. Yeah. 
So, finally we return to the bridge of the Elsa. Matthew says, how are we even supposed to get close to that thing? But come on, it's y'all, it's the Elsa. Tony also, little little bit of a hater, a little bit of a doubter. He's like, we don't even know what the inside of it looks like. What part am I supposed to stick this ship into? <laughs> Best line, the line of the episode. There it yep. is. <laughs> Kanan suggests that they try thinking this out, and this is Doctus's cue to pop up on the view screen and return to the plot for the first time in 12 hours. I had almost the exact same line in my notes, too. Uh oh hey welcome back it's you know because it's like welcome back to the junior plot line oh hey welcome back doctus every everybody's getting back together i love that her reappearance is ah Jin, same expression you always have god yeah she's Mm -hmm, such mm -hmm, she's mm -hmm. such a jerk i love her i wish she was more of a character too like uh, I mean, again, the problem when you have spent like half your game in a in a mini world where mm-hmm. only the characters who are present could be there. Uh, yeah, because I last episode, I think I said, like, where the fuck is Doctus? What happened to her? Yeah, and there she is. But I am appreciating that she makes the most of her screen time by just like being a dick, getting shit done and then getting out. Dunks, just... dunks, plot, dunks, bye. I wish she would. <laughs> yeah. I wish she just wouldn't call Reallians like Reallian, right? Like <laughs> she does that specifically because of Kanan. Okay, mm-hmm. fine, but like, like yeah, she's not I a guess... bitch to Momo. <sighs> she isn't. I mean, I'm sure Kanan deserves it, but still, well, it's because Kanan is running a secret vector-developed program to hunt down testaments. <laughs> well, isn't that exactly what we want here? <laughs> no. To hunt down people to become testaments. Oh, to right. become testaments. Right. The Lemigaton yeah. thing, right? Ka- yeah. Project Kanan. Project Kanan is Kanan is so weird because, like, he's essentially a non-character who's kind of our ally, but we've known that he's been, like, a central part of all of the bad shit that's happening, too. And, like, in some ways, he's kind of like a mirror to chaos who we know is going to factor incredibly importantly into the story, but just fucking hasn't yet, essentially, mm-hmm. like um, has been nibbling at the corners and the margins of this thing. And no one mentions like, hey, these these two who just show up or are just part of our party, like, what the fuck? Like, what <laughs> what's their deal? No one mm-hmm. no one says that <laughs> standing on the roof of the ship going Wilhelm. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so Scientia, being an anti-UMN organization, has developed ways to do things by subverting or ignoring the UMN. And so Doctus lays out the plan. You don't have to fight your way inside the Ark if you just gate out inside of the massive monster. Doctus has sent along the organization's program for overriding a gate's destination and suggests that they discover where in the ship they need to go by having Rubido track down Negredo's body. Literally all our party has done for this plan is just the very fact that Junior may be a homing beacon, nothing else. And so we're going to spend time chasing after Rubido's abusive dad once again next episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the plot, but there's more side shit you can do because Hackox World 5 is open. And if you go through this, you get Junior's ultimate weapon, the Vaquero. Unlocking it now will make him one of the more, probably the most potent attacker for a little while. But 
you know, again, I'm still not going to use Junior because <laughs> I don't really care for him that much. Mm. But uh, if you've cleared World 5, this unlocks World 6. And if you could take that on, you get the Braveheart accessory, which is also a game changer if you get it this early. Uh, what Plus does it three do? boost. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Whoever you put it on, plus three boost. Wow. Yeah, I was waiting for the boost gauge to really ramp up. The, the thing that's kind of frustrating about boost in this game is I still feel like I'm building it extremely slowly for how much I want to use it. So there are accessories which give boost gauge plus. If you have those nice. on two people, yeah. that's what really starts. Like, it's possible by Citrine to have a build that is just Ziggy and Cosmos with boost plus accessories, and you can just slam between the two of them doing moves back to back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's what I want. Like, that's what I want in this game is like some of the finishing strike or special attacks have effects that would be better for a setup to do a lot of damage. You know, like mm -hmm. they either have heavy break. Like I ended up killing... Uh, <laughs> Citrine with Xion. Like I hadn't been using Xion much, but I swapped her in and then used her like level one uh special move, like the bash, and it did a fuck ton of damage and it killed her, which was great. And I got the extra points. But like, you know, I, I think I also remember Chaos's builds a lot of extra boost too. Or sorry, a lot of extra break. And it's like if I only have two to three boosts, and maybe if I'm patient, I'll get up to four, you know. You're saving that because you want to get that the extra stats like you try to be very judicious with it, especially when it's a one on one boss, right? Like if it's a group fight, you could build boost faster. Yes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, right. on a one on one boss fight with Citrine, it took me a long time to get like another two boost. So so I would love those boost plus accessories right now. Mm hmm. Just because I was already playing around in debug mode, I figured I'd slot this in here. There are two and a half dummied out worlds of Hackocks in this game. They're legitimately really? all complete. They have names, commentary, hints. Straight up, there's just two whole extra courses of Hackocks. That's wild. That's so weird. Yeah. They are World X, Mysteries, Hidden World 1, and World Z, Give Up, Hidden World 2. <laughs> <laughs> If since you have to be playing around with debug mode to find this, it unlocks a third world system stage, which has the little stage characters walk around on for selection, just a bunch of testing levels. One is just simply called null, which, hey, guess what that does? <laughs> There's, yeah, a lot of stuff. It's so clear that... We are coming to the point of the game where features had to be lopped off with a machete to get this out the door. Mm -hmm. If you are in this mode, you will also find out that edit mode, A, can have a higher cap on what you can do with it raised so you can make bigger levels. And B, there's a password functionality that's in this, which is made to trade things. But if you try and activate it, even in debug mode, you just get the message, Sorry, the password function was abolished. <laughs> abolished? Whoa. Abolished. That's so funny. Do, do, do. I can actually show you a screenshot of this right now. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. 
So, like I said, there's a whole bunch more under this. I didn't actually find video of this on YouTube. I might have to record this later just to show off these stages. Mm, Because, yeah. yeah. Nobody else seemed to have messed around with this, probably because this is a hella obscure JRPG that <laughs> not a lot of people are digging into with a game shark to find a bunch of missing content. It's like when mm-hmm. Nick Brecken realized that he could probably become a pretty popular or pretty high level Far Cry 2 streamer. Oh, uh, sorry, speedrunner, because no one fucking speedruns Far Cry 2. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, more power to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, if, if you do that, uh, definitely send me the link. I will put it in the show notes. Sure. And uh, also, I will say, remember how you said there was the one mission where you forgot you could run, and so you were trying to perfectly time? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's a mission based around that. It's oh. X10 Golf. Oh, no. <laughs> well, hopefully it's better designed so that it's not, like, absolutely miserable to do that with. But that's really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the final two worlds are just very, okay, you better have figured out your mechanics by now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely the one that I love most is Evil Presence, Z2. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I have not dug into these, maybe, uh, maybe I will. And uh, Yeah, uh, if you can use a Game so. Shark, then you can unlock debug mode. Oh, Game Shark. I do not have a Game Shark for my PS2. Gotcha. Ah, well. I'll just uh, watch the video about it. Yeah. And while we're here, we now possess the key to the optional super boss, Omega Universitas, thanks to Citrine's corpse. Is anyone else going to fight this, or should I just dump this into next week's notes? I do not think I'm going to fight this. I was planning to fight it, and I just didn't. Because I actually went down to that level... Mm-hmm. Because I was doing a uh, sweep of the segment addresses, and I was like, oh, I heard there's this section that I haven't been to. So I went all the way there, and they said, you don't have the key for this. And I go, fuck. Like, that's one thing about the way the extra content stuff works in, I guess, all of the Xenosaga games is that it often is buried pretty deep into a level. And it doesn't take that much time to, like, either, you know just absolutely body every fight you get into on the way there or just avoid them. Uh, Mm. But like going like 10, 15 screens to do an extra thing, just it's not the best. Mm -hmm. Like there really should have been like, okay, at the very beginning of the cat testing grounds, you can like, they added something where like, Oh, you can take, you know, the tram or whatever. You could take the little car and go directly to where this is. It would have been nicer. Yeah, for sure. Because a lot of the other segment addresses are like pretty early in the dungeons. So it, it's not that bad. This one in particular is kind of rough. Then I will hold off on this until we finish Abel's Ark, because that is basically the most you get in terms of post-game, here you are, get ready for end game. That's the part where you guys are most likely to be able to survive a fight with this. Okay, because I was about to go do that. And if it's... if. I'm only at level, like, 37, 38. Unless so. you've been min-maxing, you're going to get rocked. Yeah, then no. What about, uh, do you think I could take on Darker Day Kaiser now? You possibly could. Okay. I was going to save that for a similar time period, just because I figure that's when everyone's going to do a sweep of any content they want. But, yeah, we have both optional super bosses open now. 
yeah. Like, is there another opportunity? Like, when's the next opportunity to actually go back into the UMN after this? After Abel's arc is the point. I forget if we can leave Abraxas after we get there. Maybe. But I think the last time we can really do a bunch of UMN stuff is post Abel's arc pre-Abraxas. Cool. Okay. Mictum. I'm sorry. It's Mictum now. Yes, mm-hmm. Mictum. Fucking. Well, wasn't it Mictum planets. and then got changed to Abraxas and now we're changing it back to Mictum? I forget which way it goes. They're <laughs> yeah. both the same fucking place. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah no, seriously. <sighs> Do we have any party chat? No, I'm I'm still spreading everybody out pretty equally and just like swapping people when I feel like it. And, you know, it. the difficulty curve of this game means that the last couple of bosses that we've faced have felt more like they've it's been a battle of attrition with extremely high HP than it has been engaging my tactical brain as much. So, you know, I'm just kind of using whoever. Yeah, I I'm stuck mostly to Momo, Cosmos and Jin unless I have like a very specific need. Like for Citrine, I brought in Ziggy to do the chokes. I brought in Xion so that we had two characters casting Beam Bolt 3. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to do as much damage as possible and then like swapping in, you know, somebody else here and there just to, just in case. But uh yeah, it's been pretty smooth. Uh, the one thing is I find I kind of wish I had more utility out of Jin because I feel like the way I built him as the dodge tank, he basically does a couple like I just do raging sea a lot and then otherwise I just attack things. Unless I decide to use him as my sentinel for a turn. I, I just kind of wish heat worked more frequently than it, it only works once, right? Like once you cast heat, you get attacked once and then heat goes away, right? Uh, I think it's three turns. That's weird because I swear every time I've done that, it literally has worked one time. Like I cast heat, I cast, you know, I boost a turn, I use guard. And then I get one attack and then the heat symbol is gone. And then the next attack is like a party wide. Like that seems to be a pretty regular thing that I see. But I only tend to do that in boss battles. So I don't know. So for what it's worth, we do have, because I always keep one of these in reserve, a database entry of the week. I have two candidates this week chosen from the organization's file. Do you want a Blade Runner reference or yet another case of how does Dmitry Yuryev have a job? <laughs> the second one. Second one. Okay. The CPC, or the Communication Promotion Committee, is a subgroup of the Federation Parliament, dedicated to the administration and the promotion of the UMN and the communications industry. Okay, they're the FCC. Originally, it was part of the Public Safety Commission. However, Dmitry Yuryev, who would later serve as the new committee's representative, proposed that it be split off. Yuryev used his authority to form the fictitious Descendants of Nestorius Terrorist Group and place assorted pressures on forces within the Federation Parliament that opposed his power. The Communication Promotion Committee also held close connections with the Federal Police Information and Communications Sector. 
The verbal clout wielded by its representative had a major influence on the structure of the police themselves. This fact was likely aided by the committee's history as a splinter <laughs> group from the Public Safety Commission. Wow. Wow. Yep. For what it's worth, the Blade Runner reference is simply the company that developed a business around producing artificial and synthetic animals, the Nexus series. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out you still have to buy artificial pets to do anything because nobody breeds anymore. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Abe. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> the, mm. the, the second X in Darling in the Franc stands for mm -hmm. Xenosaga. <laughs> oh. Look, if only they took Darling in the Franx seriously. <laughs> I can't fucking believe fucking Seven Seas licensed yeah. that manga. It is coming out in English like in a month. It's so stupid. It's If I find it on mm. a deep enough discount. I will pick it up. <laughs> Spoilers. If if you've like, even if you've watched the show, which I have, uh, don't read the manga. It's it's real gross. It's like it's real gross. <laughs> Look, I just have to read one volume and find out. Is it worse than my current lowest point of manga, which was gigant? I mean, I have no experience of that, so I can't say for sure, but it's definitely something where it's just like, oh, you didn't need to do that. Now I'm uncomfortable. And the re especially for the reason why you added in all that extra shit that didn't make it to the show. Thank God. Mm. Huh. Anyhow, <laughs> that is it. Does anyone have any closing thoughts on the Durandal Siege? This dungeon sucks. This dungeon sucks. Yeah. It, it felt extremely flaccid for something that was supposed to have a really large scale. And like we've had invasions into the Durandal before, right? Like mm -hmm. in the first game, there was, and I mean, I know that was a huge set piece and we're like, I don't know how many set pieces in, in this game. It just felt extremely low stakes for something that should have had extremely high impact. Well, what's interesting is that like the, the, the one place where the tableau of the horror of the siege really works is in is in the tram areas. So like wherever the tram yeah. gets out, there are just like bloody bodies strewn everywhere and it looks fucked up. And yeah. you re and you remember that like these are all juniors people and that yeah. sucks. And then, yeah, as soon as you get into the hallways themselves, it's just so, yeah, bog standard JRPG yeah. dungeon. I mean, the thing is, they did that better in the like the federation drop attack mm. like not mm -hmm. that long ago right because mm -hmm. you know those characters names you interacted with them and now i mean like ice cream guy is dead or whatever mm -hmm. <laughs> you know the balloon boy is dead and that felt impactful i didn't remember or i don't even know if i talked to anybody on the durandal this entire game whereas like at least in the last game i talked to a lot of them and none of them carried over. Like you didn't fucking run into Wood. Yeah, that's true. That's or, true. Actually, no. Wood. Wood. Wood was on um, Fifth Jerusalem. Excuse me. I, I like, you know, all the other like random weird characters that you ran into, or like the bartender who's into like the Iron Four. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a dungeon that is completely. <sighs> Next week, we're going to have 
a lot of set pieces, and it's clear that some of the design that I think was ripped out of Merkaba and Durandal went there because Abel's Ark is such a major thing. But we're coming up on some real... Again, it's the same thing as Xenogears Disc 2. Some of these things were done earlier in development than others, and that's why they feel actually kind of finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you all have anything to share with the listeners? Right. So listen to the other shows on the network. The other two that I'm involved with are Boku No Stop, the free and premium version for patron backers. The free version, we are wrapping up Monster. Hooray. And we are also going to start our very brief season on Flip Flappers, which is... uh, really really interesting it's a weird show we're probably only going to do four or five episodes on it and then we're going to move on to something else uh that i think we have in the can yep for the other show if you're paying us you can listen to us talk about jujutsu kaisen which has been absolutely fantastic this season of boku do stop premium has been just absolutely hilarious like that show has just been <laughs> really wild this season. It's been a lot of fun. You can find my extracurricular activities, including other podcasts, writing, and more at hellscaper.com. You can listen to uh, our prodigal co-host Chris and I's podcast, Icons and Icons, by visiting our Patreon at pitchdrop.cash and kicking in as little as a buck a month. It is this podcast, but about Final Fantasy XIV, we are getting ready to record our first episode on the Hildebrand side quests, which are um, some of the most fun that I can have watching a Final Fantasy XIV cutscene. So uh, we're into some good shit right now. Nice. And that's all until next time when we'll be talking about the Abel's Ark Dive, clearing the red, blue, and green quadrants before we break. See you around. Goodbye. See ya.